Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communication. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. And we're really delighted to have Linda Yang with us, who's the founder and CEO of Playground. How are you doing, Linda? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Steve and Frank. It's um, great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to chatting, finding out more about Playground. Uh, and yeah, as mentioned, we've got Frank Washcook here as a regular correspondent, PR Week's executive editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on, Steve. It wouldn't be the same without you, sir. So uh, we've got loads to talk about this week, so let's get straight into it. Linda, tell us about Playground. It sounds really interesting. And everyone loves to find out about new social platforms. So what is it? Awesome. Yeah. So what Playground is, it's a social community discovery platform. As we all know, for the past year, what we've really been dying to do is to just be together, whether that's virtually or in real life, which can happen right now. But it's just all about being part of community. Um So what Playground does, it helps users discover community. And on the other side, it helps the community organizer manage their community with end-to-end creator tools. Um, So you can think of it sort of like Spotify for communities and shared experiences. Um, What Spotify does to help users discover new artists and all the music that's coming out. Um, Our discovery experience helps users discover communities and all the events and content that keep communities together. And could you give us an example or two of the types of communities that are are on Playground already and and sort of doing work or or creating spaces? Sure. I think, you know, it was um, really apparent over the last year that a lot of these cultural communities Uh, you know, with their venues shut down, they were exploring new and interesting ways to keep their people together. And these communities, you know, that's a broad word, but that really just means cultural creators from, you know, creative agencies, uh, record labels, to small venues and cultural institutions and museums, all the way down to smaller independent artists um, all over the world. So just specifically, you know, we're working with the head of partnerships at Freeze Art Fair, who uh, was recommending, you know, artists, um, galleries, other festivals all over the world who are doing virtual viewing rooms, or, you know, the head of music at Wonderfruit, which is kind of the Coachella of Asia, uh, who was recommending DJs who wanted to, you know, uh, drop singles and host virtual concerts over the past year. Um, we've also got, a you know, a roster of agency partners uh, who are hosting DEI events, uh, you know, as, as, you know, they're participating in, in just like the large, important cultural movements of our time. So there's lots of ways that communities are expressing themselves on a playground. So would you, you would say it's very much a sort of creator space at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, the creator economy um, is very tied to uh, emerging new social platforms. Social platforms are being completely reinvented, whether it's through formats like Clubhouse, it's an audio format, but also through their revenue models. It's not about ad-based revenue models anymore. It's all about how do you empower um, creators who, you know, invest a lot of their time and energy in um, building, you know, member 
spaces and communities um, and how to like enable them to um, monetize and grow their community. And what would you say offers uh, that's different to, there's loads of social platforms out there, obviously, and um, we've seen the rise of or the audio platforms and we're seeing more of those come on board. What would you say Playgrounds USP is that it really uh, adds to the mix? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that people are fascinated with Clubhouse and they think that audio is um, an innovation. But if you look at what Clubhouse is, it's actually just it lands on a couple of trends that we've been all talking about for a while, which is that social media should it should actually bring people together. It should be active instead of passive. So instead of scrolling and filtering, clicking and commenting, we should be invited to participate and do together. Um, and the Clubhouse does that well through audio events. Um, so I feel like the innovation there is that by centering a social network around shared experience, live shared experience, um, that's what these event-based rooms are. It's the same people with the same interest. Sorry, it's like-minded people in the, with the same interests, um, at the same you know, time and location, whether that's a virtual room or, you know, event or, or not. Um, and so I think that playground is very aligned when it comes to uh, that idea. However, uh, we know that communities are not just uh, confined to an audio format. So while Clubhouse, I think, is, is, is like curating and enabling community in these virtual rooms, a community is expressed in a lot of different ways. Those communities are meeting offline on Zoom meetings, um, on Twitch live concerts, on IG Live. They'll eventually meet up in real life pop up events or real life events. Um, and they're also, you know, dropping NFTs or they're dropping merch and um, all of the different social identities that a community is um, uh, represents. It's super fragmented across all these channels. So Playground, in a way, is larger. Is <laughs> a larger idea. It's like all of the, the social handles that your community links out to, all of the content that's important for your community to know about, and all of the tools to manage them on the back end. So um, Clubhouse is just only starting to kind of build tools on the back end that allow for tipping. They're also only starting to really crack um, the, the discovery problem, which is like, how do you curate and make sure uh, the right rooms reach the right people at the right time versus just like uh, what legacy uh, media platforms had trouble with, which is just content overload. Yeah, and they're also only available on Android, uh, on um, iPhone at the moment, aren't they? Not Android. And I think you're on Android already. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we're on all the platforms, and um, what I yeah, what I wanted to say is that I think there will be a lot of emerging platforms that have taken the lessons from legacy social platforms and to try to like architect and rebuild healthier and more authentic ways to connect. I think technology is obviously. Uh, it's it's the um it's like helping us weave the social fabric together right now but it can also tear it apart and uh i think if it's in designed intentionally it can actually fo help people form deeper more authentic um relationships um as opposed to what's been happening you know over the past couple of years yeah agreed it's got very toxic hasn't it on especially on places like facebook and twitter and and as you said with with clubhouse people are often 
on Discord or they're on Twitter or they're on Instagram while they're they're in, they're, they're utilizing those platforms to communicate while they're on Clubhouse because you can't really do that apart from the audio part of it. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Now, you've got some interesting people involved in Playground. So tell us about that. And some of them are from your background, which was an anomaly and TBWA shy at day. So tell us about the people involved who are helping you out with Playground. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been um, a journey of connecting the dots backwards, as they say, of my personal and professional um, experiences. Um, I have worked on technology platforms and brands my entire career and also on youth culture and entertainment brands. So yes, I started at Shia Day and they're really famous for Apple, um, for, for being the agency for Apple. I was also on, um, you know, YouTube music, uh, worked at Facebook myself before Cambridge Analytica days, uh, Beats by Dre, YouTube music launch. Good old days, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, it made a lot of sense, you know, that I wanted to work at agencies that, um, you know, um, we're half VC uh, venture arm in a way and half marketing consultancy, which was what Anomaly was. So the last full-time agency that I worked at was Anomaly. Uh, I like them for their entrepreneurial spirit and all the founders are are highly, highly entrepreneurial and it's woven into their DNA. So when I was a creative there, I was working on the Converse and Nike team. Uh, I actually pitched the founder Uh, one of the founders, Jason DeLand, and he loved the idea and kind of what Playground stood for. Uh, Like I said, shared experiences, meaningful connection, and kind of, you know, using media as, you know, for good. Uh, experience media, he called it. And so, yeah, he became one of my first investors, uh, chairman of the company. He's still involved. And, and it's been it's been a great journey. So I'm using my background in, you know, media and entertainment to uh, and culture to kind of have the right partners on board the platform because it's really important who we seed it with. And that involves yeah. everyone from people that I've mentioned, like, you know, cultural affairs to agencies to, um, you know, record labels giving us their musical artists to work with. Yeah, great partners to have there. And you worked on one of my favorite ba- brands, Converse. So uh, that's yeah, what that. you know as well. <laughs> um, I love my Chuck Taylors going back decades. Um, so where are we at now with Playground? Tell us where, where, what stage it's at. What should listeners do if they want to find out more? Where can they go download it? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, you can download the app at playgroundapp.com and you'll also see kind of the discovery experience featured communities that we have on our web app um, at the same address. Um, where we're at culturally is really interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of movements um, and uh, equality movements happening. And so we're finding a lot of activists are using uh, Playground to organize in, uh, their community. Uh, so last year, um, Nupal Kizulu, who's the youth president of Black Lives Matter New York, she, um, you know, she was on TV with me saying, uh, you know, how Playground was helpful in keeping her community organized. So this year, where there's, you know, a lot more to be done and a lot more movements that are um, kind of forming even now, uh, we're really focused on building tools that uh, that we're hearing that these community organizers want. At the same time, I'm fundraising. Uh, we're closing our round, which was for $2 million, um, really soon so that we could get back to building these tools for um, our community. 
Okay, so that's the next milestone is to close that next round. If you want to get in on that, you know, you know it's where to go. Get in touch with Linda. Still time to get in on that one. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how it develops, Linda. And um, yeah, make sure you go out there and get on Playground. It's an exciting new platform and one to check out definitely. So uh, thanks for telling us all about it, and we'll get your input on some of the new stories. Absolutely. Frank, loads to talk about this week, so let's get straight into it. It's the NFL draft, and uh, there's a few interesting new things happening with that this week, including a a tie-out with Clubhouse. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's going to be really uh, interesting, and I think, dare I even say, fun to watch how uh, the NFL draft, which uh, the first round is Thursday night, um, how they expand their presence. And this is just talking about the NFL, how they expand their presence onto other screens or other, you know, earbuds in this case, when you're talking about Clubhouse. Uh, and they are planning to work with them. And one thing I think that is also just as interesting is whether or not they expand onto gaming platforms this year, you know, whether there is any sort of partnership with Fortnite to really get in front of a younger audience that might be more interested uh, or, or as interested in video games as they are with the draft. But going back to Clubhouse for uh, for a second, that is going to include draft themed rooms for for, for fans to talk about you know their mock drafts and player selections and uh, and things like that. So I, I be interested to see the numbers afterwards if they if they make them public. You know how many people participated and and how long they were in these various rooms for. Yeah, because we've seen with the live, big live events and the Oscars being the latest one where we've had massive drops in live audience watching, haven't yeah. we? And they've traditionally been big advertising events. The NFL draft's the same. It's just changing part of it. It's changing user habits, isn't it? And, it, um, is, it is, yeah, it is. And TV. It is. And I, I think another interesting part about this, too, is that it's kind of a given in this year's draft who the first pick is going to be. So there's not a lot of suspense unless there's there's a huge surprise. There's not a lot of suspense about who the top pick is going to be. Tell so me, uh, as a, for a novice like myself, who's that? Uh, the quarterback from Clem, from Clemson University, uh, mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence. You you may know him by his his like long flowing hair and you know high potential quarterback, great arm. Um, and it I'm looks just like he'll get be jealous if, if he starts looking at that long flowing hair, Frank. <laughs> that guy's but it looks like media. He took his entire um, stipend in crypto recently. Right, right. Yeah. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that affects the ratings at all, you know, given that it, it looks like he's going to be the number one pick going to Jacksonville. Um, we've also seen some really interesting campaigns in recent years from companies like Tide. You know, they'd work with Taylor um, on the, these really good things on Twitter and, you know, showing off the players with their new jerseys for the first time. So, you know, we, it's, a, it's a really interesting marketing night from the sports world, I think. And, and mm-hmm. I think it, um, the format of it, it, it prompts some unique activations. Yeah, Linda, the young consumers just aren't consuming media in the same way, are they? And they're, they're not watching live TV. They're not that interesting in advertising. So brands have got to engage in a different way, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think this past year, they've really started to experiment more uh, back to like the NFL during the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I think 
Verizon's latest campaign was a virtual stadium. And what they're doing with their 5G technology is like, how do you reinvent sports watching with, you know, real time multiplayer views? You can switch the views, you can watch it real time on your phone. And so, yeah, I think brands definitely have to um, shift to where these new audiences are. Um, I think this Clubhouse uh, NFL collaboration is really interesting. Um, you know, this the 5G Super Stadium was an example of how the sport event itself can be hosted in a different way. And then I think to keep communities together in between events um, and like sports being one of the most rapid, <laughs> passionate communities uh, is to keep them together uh, with other different types of content, whether that's a smaller clubhouse room and it's making each cultural moment like a draft um, in these new formats. And we'll continue to see that. Yeah, for sure. Now, Frank, one brand that is, I feel like we should be getting commission from Clubhouse. The amount of times we mention them on these podcasts. But anyway, IHOP is one brand that is, did do some a fun thing uh, on Clubhouse with sizzling bacon. And we got some numbers on that for our case study, didn't we? We did. Yeah, this is really interesting. So it attracted, um, and let me just give a little bit of background here. This is the campaign um, that IHOP did to roll out their bacon obsession menu. And the gist of it is that uh, they just sort of broadcast the sound of bacon cooking uh, in a clubhouse room. So um, they worked with Droga5 from Creative on this and also DeVries uh, Global on PR. So they got almost 8,000 participants joining the room during the course of the eight-hour event. I would love to know what their goal was. Um, but at its peak, the chat room had 1,700 concurrent listeners, um, and um, it can hold a maximum, a chat room can hold a maximum of 5,000. But but here's a really interesting stat that on average users were listening to the sound of bacon cooking for five minutes, which is is far longer than the company was hoping for. And five minutes, that, that does feel like a, an awfully long time to just be listening to bacon cooking. So uh, it sounds like it was, it was minutes, very yeah. captivating. Sorry? <laughs> it's done after five minutes. It's ready to eat. But, yeah. yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's interesting. It's, in, it's interesting to see that you're getting some numbers and, and analytics out of Clubhouse activations now. So it's possible to do that. Uh, I think the room size has gone up to 8,000 now, the maximum, but I think yeah. it was 5,000 at the time. But um, yeah, what do you think, Linda? Is this the future that people are listening? Is that what the young generation wants to do, listen to bacon sizzling? You can't smell it yet, but I guess there will be a platform that will allow that so, at some point. Uh, I mean, I really <laughs> hope not. I think it's a really interesting idea from you know the creatives at Droga5. Um, I think it's like landing on a behavior on Clubhouse where people are falling asleep with the app on. And so yeah. I really wonder if those engagement numbers, if it's like, well, what are they doing while it's on? You know, it's it's really like it's active if you're on the stage, but it's really passive if you're not. And if you can fall asleep for eight hours, you know, does that um, does that count as engagement? Um, as an idea, I think it's interesting. You know, like IHOP, it's twenty four seven. You can have breakfast any time of the day. So now you've taken the idea of breakfast, and now people all over the world can like be listening to and thinking about breakfast, um, even if it's like four a.m. <laughs> so I think it was on brand. Maybe it was really fun, and I like that it's not just um, another networking event in Clubhouse. It's starting. It's like there's a lot of kind of like business related rooms. I think Clubhouse does need more cultural rooms and just fun rooms. You know, um, but as far as like behavior and like what I think the future is I really uh, I think it's I think it's 
it's um it's a bit of fun isn't it yeah it's just fun i would hope that there's more um meaningful things that come out of this no i think and look it's cheap as well right you don't have to pay to go on clubhouse it's uh it's a very cheap idea i'd love to know how they actually did it and and recorded the bacon sizzling but anyway that's probably too much information yeah that really resonates with younger people is tesla frank but uh um elon musk he's not he's uh, with people have tried to be the pr person for tesla but they they basically can't (laughs) he's one of these ceos who is and founders who is the company pr person isn't he yeah they never last long do they um so he he reiterated this week that tesla uh this is his quote doesn't believe in manipulating public opinion uh, I guess you could debate whether he's doing that himself on Twitter, but um, by saying that, <laughs> yes, yes. So they um, eliminated their PR department in October 2020, and he, he, you know, he's sticking by that is what he said on Twitter. Um, and uh, you look, I, I don't really think this is a very smart idea. I, I think that you know, by its very nature as a car company and a car company with new technology, I mean, there, there are going to be crashes. There are going to be accidents. And as they roll out new technology, well, there are going to be, things, week, yeah. And there are going to be a driver. <laughs> yeah. And there are going to be things that just don't work and uh, there are going to be fires to put out. So Literally. I don't know. Don't think it's the smartest move. Yeah. It's uh, he's one of those founders like Steve jobs, his news, who's, you know, He's his own PR person. And whatever you think about him, and he, he, you know, he's a bit of a tech bro. He's very intelligent. But, uh, Linda, if you speak to young people, and especially young kids, if you ask them one business person that they recognize, it would be Elon Musk, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So if he says that he's not into PR, I feel like, you know, he's an innovator that um, plays with the models of things like he's just playing with the definition of what PR is. It's still PR. He's just kind of like nonconformist yeah. and contrarian about it. But every word he says is basically like a PR brief. <laughs> it's exactly. just how he thinks in terms of headlines almost. No, he's the ultimate in earned media yeah. and he just doesn't feel the need to have a formalized in-house PR unit. So mm-hmm. um, he's going to be hosting SNL. So uh, be interesting to see how he does on that as well. Uh, I think that's in a couple of weeks. Um, Biden's big speech last night, Frank, what did you make of it? And uh, how did it go down in the media and with different stakeholders? Well, we're, we're firmly back to normal now after, uh, after four years of, of Donald Trump as president. And I, we, we see these political speeches and go, well, gosh, that was kind of as expected and kind of boring. And, and people are actually talking about the, the policy uh, proposed within the speech. Um, so that, and I think a lot of people would say that's good. So, uh, there's that, but also I, I think that the thing people are going to remember about it isn't necessarily a part of the speech, but when he was introducing behind the dais, uh, the speaker of the house and the vice president, both being women is probably, you know, the big historical moment that people are going to remember, uh, from this. And it's not the State of the Union, of course. It's the closest thing to it. But, you know, a real historic moment there. Yeah, great image that was. And uh, I agree with you. He's trying to get some stuff done, though, isn't he? Because I think he realizes that he's got, got to do it in his first term. So he's making some plays. Getting- he is. He uh, is. And, and, I, know, and I think a lot of the experts would would 
some of them anyway, are saying that he he has learned a lot from the first Obama term when yeah. people thought that he could have done more and he could have moved more quickly uh, on things. And, and, you know, he is talking openly about doing things in a bipartisan way. But the, he and the Democrats are clearly acting uh, when they see that it's not possible to reach an agreement and acting pretty quickly. Now, he, he doesn't have very big voting margins. I mean, the Senate is is still very close. The House is closer than most people think it is. So uh, they, they've actually, in my opinion, gotten a lot done despite not having a, a gigantic margin uh, in both houses of Congress. Um, and, and you look at some of these spending proposals. I mean, he, he is clearly pushing to do a lot. How much of it he's going to get passed remains to be seen. But uh, a lot of these things are, are pretty transformative when you talk about, you know, universal uh, preschool for three year olds. Um, and you talk about other things uh, that are in these infrastructure, this infrastructure plan and, and the other spending bill after it. I mean, this is um, it, it's pretty big it's- stuff. It's got to get that message over that people who earn less than 400000 are not going to face increased taxes. And yes. uh, no matter how many times he says it, the, the narrative in certain parts of the media is, is that everyone's tax is going to go up. And, um, you know, that that is a key message that he, he has to keep hammering away at, I think. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting immigration point. Issue as well, yeah. And and I think, too, that when you look at the stuff that he and his team are dealing with over the past week and over the past weekend, I mean, some of this is just fiction. You know, this this I think was a University of Michigan report about, uh, you know, eating only like seven pounds of um, uh, a red meat a year, uh, which doesn't really have anything to do with him or his team. And, and it, it just goes to show how much of your time. In, you know, in the political world, you can spend putting out fires that don't really exist, but then exist in, you know, a very sweeping way on social media. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 nice to see politics return to normal, like you said, so that you'll agree with some things, you'll disagree with other things. But it seems like someone's there with a team trying to do a job and get things done. And, and I think that's been missing. Linda, will politics be a sort of big topic topic area on playground or is that actually you want to keep away from it a little bit i um totally want to keep away from it so a part of the inspiration for playground is like how do people really connect and it's through shared interests you know and um the things that you love doing and it has nothing to do with you know who what you look like or where you're from or none of the geopolitical stuff it's like can we find things that we have actually in common and form relationship no matter you know uh, what label you are politically yeah agreed i think uh, we need more of that for sure so yeah um frank some more holding company agency holding company numbers this week ipg and wpp what did they tell us about q1 i think that uh they told us that it's it's still a little touch and go out there um and while a lot of holding company and agency executives are very bullish on 2021 uh, Q1 is not a real is not turning out to be a real blowout quarter. Um, so uh, let's take a look at them one by one. Uh, if you look at Insert Public Group, PR firms in its Dextra network, which includes most of its PR firms, but also event marketing and other specialist marketing shops, uh, they posted low single digit growth on an as reported basis. They were flat on an organic basis uh, in Q1, according to that division CEO, Andy Polanski, 
who uh, who again is bullish on the rest of the year. So uh, you know, very interested to see how they do in Q2. Omnicom last week we reported they were down. Their PR firms were down 3.5 percent in Q1. Now I think that the real bright spot among the holding companies so far has been WPP, uh, which posted a two percent rise, and it's like for like PR revenues in Q1. One of the agencies getting the credit is Hill and Nolan Strategies, and also Finsbury Glover Herring. Um, but WPP is sort of the, the the star performer so far. Yeah, and they're going to say trying to save a bit more money. Uh, we had that story from uh, our sister. Uh, brand campaign about them uh, not paying out the last piece of Martin Sorrell's bonus that he uh, was due from his time as CEO, which led to quite an amusing spat between uh, Sir Martin and uh, WPP. Yes, yeah, I, I think that <laughs> I think as we all know, if if you follow this space and if you follow marketing and the holding companies, uh, it, one of the most covered things, and also you know in the in the mainstream press in the in the UK has always been uh, Martin Sorrell's pay packages. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's definitely a fun point of, uh, of, of gossip and reading. It's well worth checking that story out. There's classic Martin Sorrell quotes in there. Um, but there's plenty of M&A activity around in the agency sector, isn't there? Especially in the sort of small to medium size. And there was another, another one this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that is happening. Um, no doubt about it. And uh, we this week we saw Gregory FCA pick up effect. Um, you know, somebody a really well known B two B PR and marketing firm. A lot of tech clients. Sandra Fati has been on our podcast before. Uh, she's going to become chief strategy officer and report to the founder and CEO of Gregory FCA, Greg Matuski. Um, and some of her execs are also joining the Gregory FCA leadership team um so so yeah it's interesting and want to see how many other smaller firms are going to be bought or going to buy their counterparts in the next couple weeks and months well i think we're going to do a story on a trend piece about m&a trends from uh, uh, a law company that's right look out for yeah so look out for that one for more detail and a sad story about an Aaron Cushman passing away at the ripe old age in his 90s, but it sounded like a real character and a, a great uh, PR person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 96 years old. Uh, he passed away on April 17th. A real legend in the Chicago agency community. And, um, you know, it's always interesting, too, of seeing, like, you know, whose uh, children and grandchildren go into the business afterwards. And his grandson, uh, Luke Cushman, is the principal of Cushman Integrated Marketing. Uh, and communications and uh, was telling us some things about his grandfather. He was a World War II combat pilot. Uh, he founded Aaron D. Cushman and Associates in 1952 in Chicago and has a real uh, had a real who's who list of entertainment clients that he repped uh, from th- the Three Stooges to Milton Berle to Gene Autry and Sammy Davis Jr., uh, but also love baseball, uh, repped the Chicago White Sox uh, for almost 20 years as their PR representative, and then later bought in to become a part owner of the team. So really a pretty extraordinary life. Yeah, our, our condolences to Luke and his family, but uh, a life well lived and a fantastic PR person and role model and uh, veteran as well. And finally, loads more people moves this week. So just give us a quick roundup of those. Yes, uh, quite a few of them. Steward Healthcare, uh, 
which is uh, the nation's largest private and physician-owned healthcare network, has brought on Jen Crichton as its communications head. She comes over from PepsiCo. Uh, the agency Lanson's Intermarket brings on a new CEO. Uh, that's the former Prosec Partners executive, Josh Passman. Um, IBM's Kindrel. Uh, here's an interesting business story. It's a new independent company that's getting spun off of IBM, has brought on Una Paluzzi as its global head of corporate affairs uh, as of next month. Porter Novelli has named two global healthcare practice leads. Uh, that's Lisa O'Sullivan, who's based in the UK, is going to be health growth lead, and Maura Bergen, who is based in the US, is going to be health sector lead on the global healthcare practice. Edelman has brought on Karima Zmerly as global head of performance and predictive intelligence. Um, and that, you know, that's an area where they are really building out. And Edelman yeah, also, space. yeah, Edelman also this week launched a B2B innovation hub. Uh, just a few more United Minds consultancy that uh, we've heard is doing really well. Uh, within Weber Shanwick has named Kate Bollinger uh, as their first CEO. They launched this consultancy in 2018. Brian Bell has left his role uh, as the head of communications at Chuck E. Cheese. And Fleischman Hillard has brought in Adrian Smith as its chief diversity uh, and inclusion officer. Um, she's going to run DEI's strategy and collaborate with their true mosaic. Uh, platform. And that will be replacing Emily Graham, I guess, who moved up to the big group role at Omnicom. That's right. All right, Frank, thanks for that roundup and thanks for the news chat. Linda, it was terrific to chat to you about Playground and to get your perspective on the other topics. And we're really looking forward to seeing how Playground develops and wishing well with it. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, it's good to chat to you. Uh, don't forget our PR Week 40 Under 40 uh initiative it's out for entries you've got until the 13th of may for the first deadline on that so make sure you're getting the next generation of leaders submitted for that program our global awards will take place on the 20th of may be a virtual ceremony around the world it will all be taking place through one whole day the brand film awards we're really really excited about that on the 25th of may uh, brilliant films going to be awarded at that. It's still the only festival dedicated solely to brand films, and we've got some great programming around it. The Hall of Fame celebration will be on the 10th of June. Uh, I love that event, and uh, it's going to be another brilliant virtual event. PR Decoded is our big annual conference. That'll be from the 12th to the 15th of October, and uh, the Purpose Awards are part of that. They'll take place on the 13th. They're out for entries. We launched the call for entries this week. First deadline is the 9th of June, and our chair of jury this year is Kroger's Crystal Howard. So get to your get working on your entries for that time, that one. But uh, that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.